Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. There was a priest, a doctor and an engineer who were waiting one particular morning behind a slow group of golfers on their usual course. Well, the engineer fumed. What's with these guys? We must have been waiting now for 35 minutes for them to finish. The the doctor chimed in, I I don't know, but I've never seen such inept golf. The priest said, here comes the greenskeeper, like, let's have a word with him. Hey, George, what's wrong with the group ahead of us? They're they're rather slow, aren't they? The greenskeeper replied, oh, yes, that's a group of blind firemen. They lost their sight, saving our clubhouse from a fire last year. So we always let them play for free any time they want. The group fell silent for a moment. The priest said, that, that's so sad. I think I'll say a special prayer for them tonight. The doctor said, good idea. I'm going to contact my ophthalmologist colleague and see if there's anything we can do to help them. And the engineer said, can't they play at night? I've been talking for the last couple of weeks on the power of perspective. Apologies to any engineers. I know there are some in our church. Apologies to them this morning. We've been talking on the power of perspective, that your perspective is so important, that your perspective is like a GPS locator for where your heart is, that your perspective is important, but oftentimes your perspective says more about what's going on inside of you than necessarily what's happening around about you. Stephen Covey said, we we don't see things as they are, we see things as we are. And so your perspective is incredibly important. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, from my point of view, well, you know, from where I stand, which I'm always interested in people's point of view, because it helps to give an idea of their perspective. What can they see? Maybe you heard people saying things like this when you were a kid, you need to have a good hard look at yourself, son. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't look at yourself, see yourself. If you look at yourself in the mirror, you'll see all of your warts and your wrinkles and your faults and your frailties. Don't look, begin to see. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about that. Not simply to look, any person can look, but we want to be the kind of people who begin to see with a heavenly perspective. Not lookers, but seers. J. Oswald Sanders said, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. And so we're not talking about having a positive perspective. You can go to any self-help group, read any self-help book about having a positive perspective. This is more than that. This is not about having a positive perspective. This is about having a prophetic perspective to begin to see from heaven's point of view, to begin to not just look at the circumstances, but to begin to see what God can see. In the Old Testament, the prophets were called seers. Notice they weren't called lookers. They were called seers because it was their responsibility to see and to begin to communicate what God was doing. And so this morning, I want to speak to us in this final message for this on how to do, sorry, how do you get a prophetic perspective? I want to be somebody like that who who can see from heaven's point of view, who, who doesn't just take a look, but begins to see with a prophetic perspective. It's having sight, but no vision. 
Helen Keller herself was blind from the age of 18 months. And when asked about her condition, she said, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Proverbs 29 verse 18 puts it this way. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That word perish literally means to be unrestrained or, or undisciplined or, or to cast off restraint. Where there's no vision, where there's no prophetic perspective, where there's no sense of what God is up to, where, where there's no clear direction. When that happens, people begin to cast off restraint. People begin to do crazy things. People begin to live undisciplined lives. It's amazing when you've got a godly vision how you can endure hardship and discouragement and obstacles and pain. But if you've got a godly vision, if you've got a heavenly perspective, it's amazing the kind of resilience and resolve it'll produce on the inside. Isn't that true? Right? In the absence of that, where there's no vision, it's amazing how just the slightest inconvenience can cause a person to give up or to jump ship or to throw in the towel or to run. We began this series looking at in 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha's servant goes out and he sees an army amassed around them and he's petrified and he goes to Elisha and he says, Elisha, we need to run, like we need to get out of here. And Elisha puts his hand on the boy's shoulder and he says, don't be afraid. And he prays, God, I pray that he would not look but see obstacles. And yes, that looks difficult. But when he opens his eyes a second time, he can see the hosts of heaven's army and their chariots are on fire. And the difference was being able to see with a a prophetic perspective. Because when he was just looking, he wanted to run. But when he could see, he realized, I need to stay exactly where I am. God's got me exactly where I need to be. It's amazing to me how many people live without vision. It's amazing to me how many people live without goals. It's amazing how many people live without a godly sense of purpose. And so how do you get a prophetic perspective? How do you see from a heavenly perspective? Sometimes the problem is that our view of God is just too small. Sometimes the problem is is that our view of God is just too small. You know, I, I just want to be happy. Yeah, I just want to provide for my family. You know, I don't need much. You know, if it's God's will, then if they're the confessions of your mouth, can I encourage you, your view of God is too small. One of the desires of my heart is to pastor the neediest church in Australia. To have a church full of people who are like, Pastor Dan, would you pray for me? Because I need God to break through in this area of my life. And Pastor Dan, would you pray for me? Because I've got these ideas for my business, but, but I really need God to be able to, to come to the party for this to ever actually take place, right? I, I, I'm not just believing to provide for my family. No, I'm believing that God would use me in such a way as to be a blessing to lots of people, not just to be able to meet my needs, but God, that you would use me to be able to do something significant in this whole community, not just in my street, not just even in my own house, but, but, but I need God to be able to break through in my life. To have a church full of people who, do you know what? At the very moment we say, hey, we're about to pray, they're like, great, because I need God to do some stuff, right? Not, Not for my sake, but because I want God to be able to use me to be able to be a blessing to others. To pastor the kind of church like that, right? The, the, the neediest church in Australia, because we need God to be able to break through. Some of you know the story that for Elise and I, a number of years ago, in, in about 2017 it was, that the end of 
of a particular month after we'd been involved in a rather large offering. We'd given probably the largest offering we'd ever given to that point in our lives. And at the end of that, we felt God challenge us, literally say, that church that we were pastoring, they're your employer, but they're not your provider. And to be honest, it probably knocked us back on our heels just a little bit, right? But because we had somewhere in the process of time just thought, well, you know, well, that's my wage and, you know, Elise is volunteering her time and so we just need to, you know, live within our means and be deliberate about that. And, and then in the middle of that, God comes to us and basically says, Oi, they're your provider, uh, they're your employer, but I'm your provider. And we were challenged by this thought, which we really felt like was from God. What about if what I'm being paid is actually only half of what God's trying to get to us? It totally changed the way that we prayed. Some of you know this story that Elise writes this list, right? And on it, she says, I want to replace both of our cars. If God was to bless us, what would it look like? We'd sell our house, which wasn't on the market at that time, and it was in Townsville, and Townsville's average days on market was 132 days, right? In, in a market that was declining while the Sunshine Coast was growing. The gap was about 200 grand for us, right? And then the last thing on the list was to fall pregnant with a girl we felt like God had promised us, a little girl, Sophie, who we celebrated her fourth birthday only a couple of weeks ago, right? We had had five miscarriages between Jonathan and Sophie, but we felt like God had given us a promise about a little girl and had given us her name. But what's amazing about all of that is that God did it. We got given two cars, we sold a house that wasn't on the market, and we fell pregnant with Sophie, and it all happens in six months. And here's the truth of it for Elise and I, right? There's obviously a lot to that story. Elise wrote a book about it. But there's a lot to that story. Here's the truth. That experience, that the real gift in all of it, with the exception of Sophie, was not the things. The real gift was how it changed us. Because we couldn't go back to being the same people, even if we wanted to, because we'd experienced God's goodness in a way we hadn't before, and it altered something about us. It altered something about what we believed God was capable of doing. It altered something about the way that we have an expectation for God to do good things. It changed a level of faith in us. I think sometimes the problem is not that we ask God for too much, it's actually that we ask God for too little. And so sometimes the problem for us having a heavenly perspective is that our vision is too small, that our view of God is so limited. But perhaps because we believe that God wouldn't do those kinds of things for us or because we believe God is incapable of doing those kinds of things at all. Think about it. We're not alone. There's plenty of people in the Bible who found themselves in the exact same position. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 17, the widow of Zarephath, that her vision, right, was to provide one more meal for her family. She's out collecting sticks and the prophet comes to her and, and says, uh, if you're making a meal, would you get me a drink and, and would you make me a cake as well? And she says to him, she says, how can I do that? I'm collecting sticks up here to make one last meal that my family will eat and then die. Her vision is to provide one more meal for her family and then they're all going to die. But God's vision for her was to provide for her not just one meal, but provide for her for the next three years and in the middle of Israel's worst drought. Her vision was just too small. Think about the disciples. The disciples want to go fishing to catch a few fish. But God was wanting to fill their nets to the point of breaking, so much so that it filled their boat and their friend's boat as well and almost sunk both of them. 
That for Peter, Peter had a vision for the gospel to be able to go to the Jews, that it would be salvation for the Jews. But God had to remind him that actually his vision was for it to be salvation for all mankind. It wasn't just for the Jews, it was for everyone. Think about Moses. Moses is living in Egypt. He's grown up in Pharaoh's house. And one day he's walking past and he knows he's not Egyptian. He knows that he's Jewish. And he sees a Jew being being beaten by an Egyptian, by an Egyptian slave master. And he has a vision to deliver one man momentarily and he takes matters into his own hands and he does it. He kills the Egyptian. And as a result then runs. Moses' vision was to deliver one man momentarily. God's vision for Moses was to deliver an entire nation permanently. Moses' vision was too small. And so sometimes the problem is, is that our, our view and our vision is too small. Perhaps because of what we believe about ourselves or perhaps because of what we believe about God. And so I want to encourage you this morning to lift your eyes and begin to dream. To begin to lift your eyes and take a bigger look at what God is doing. Ephesians 3 verse 20, which we mentioned last week, says, Now to him, talking about God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Which means if you and I are able to think of it, if we're able to conceive of it, God is already able to do way more than that. If we would just lift our eyes and begin to see what God sees. God's way bigger than you and I give him credit for. And maybe it is this morning that God is trying to get your attention and introduce himself to you. To stop magnifying the circumstances or magnifying the problems, but begin to magnify God. Isn't that what the psalmist says? Oh, magnify the Lord, I tell myself. Come on, magnify the Lord with me. When you magnify something, you don't make it any bigger than it already is. You know, when you take a magnifying glass and you put something underneath it, that thing doesn't become any bigger, but you're able to see it in a greater detail than you could before. And so whatever you focus on, whatever you spend your time thinking about, right, you begin to magnify those things. You can magnify and see in greater detail the problems and circumstances that you're facing, or you can choose, you know what, I'm going to deliberately begin to focus my time and attention on God because I'm not ignorant of these things, but God, I want to be more aware of you at work than, than of my present circumstances. I'm going to magnify God. Isn't that what Paul writes to the, to the church in Ephesus? Now I'm just waxing lyrical. These aren't even in my notes, so I'm hoping that it's in the book of Ephesus. It could be in Philippians. It's one of the letters that Paul wrote, guys, right? Where, where he says, I think it's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, don't worry about anything, right? Thank you, I'm getting a thumbs up from somebody who reads their Bible. Thank you, right? Don't, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, Right? And then he says, whatever is lovely and noble and pure, think about such things and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Why? Because you can focus on the circumstance or you can focus on the goodness of God and they both have a result. Just one's more favorable than the other. And so if you want to have a prophetic perspective, you've got to start to magnify God. You've got to start to right-size God. William Booth said this. He said, God has a special love. For the man or woman in whose heart there is a passion for the impossible. I love that. Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, said, I've found that there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. And then it is done. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 30. 
This is going to be the larger scripture reading for us this morning. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 25. I'm going to read this whole thing for us this morning. There's a little bit in it. And if you're not familiar with this story, um, I'm going to read the whole thing. It'll be on the screen behind me. But it's a really interesting moment. It's kind of a bit of a funny story. But I want to take us to this this morning. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 25. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, who was his father-in-law, Send me on my way so that I can go back to my homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I've served you and I'll be on my way. You know how much, I've worked, how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, because Laban realizes that his life is being blessed because of Jacob's presence. But Laban said to him, if I've found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. And he added, name your wages and I will pay them. But Jacob said to him, you know how I've worked for you and how your livestock have, have fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? What shall I give you? Laban asked. Don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watch over them. Let me go through all of the flocks today, removing from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted and speckled goat. They will be my wages. And my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid me, any goat in my possession that's not speckled or spotted, or any lamb that's not dark-colored, will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. But let it be as you have said. That same day, Laban, who's a bit shifty, removed all the male goats that were speckled and spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Not to be outdone, verse 37. Jacob, however, and this is the weird part of this story, Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches of poplar, almond, and plane trees, and made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed the peeled branches in all the watering troughs so that they would, go, would be directly in front of the flocks as they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they mated in front of the branches. And they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. And Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but made the rest face the streaked and um, dark-colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus, he made a separate flock for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the strong females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. In this way, Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys." It's an interesting story, isn't it? Right? I know some of you are thinking, where is he going with that? Here's the point. What they saw, they conceived. And what they focused on, they achieved. What they saw, they conceived. And what they focused on, they achieved. For you and I, what we choose to focus on, right, begins to create a self-fulfilling prophecy in our own lives, right? If you look for God's goodness, it's amazing you begin to see God's goodness. If you look 
to be let down, it's amazing how often you get let down. But, but what they saw, they conceived, and what they focused on, they achieved. So here's my point this morning. How do you get a prophetic perspective? You do five things. Adoration, revelation, impregnation, gestation, manifestation. John chapter 15 verse 7 says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I want you to see this this morning, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Adoration, revelation, impregnation, gestation, manifestation. That Jesus says, if you abide in me, what's that? If you abide in me, that's adoration. If you abide in me, that's worship. That's getting into the presence of God. That's spending time with God. That's not a two-minute prayer in the shower. That that's spending time in God's presence. That's prioritizing being in God's presence. That's taking time right? Saying, God, I want to hear you speak to me. I'm going to create some time in my own life to be able to hear your voice. I'm going to take some time to begin to open the scriptures. God, I'm going to take some time even in worship. I'm going to begin to pray, not not just flippantly, not just here or there, not just for the weather, but God, I'm going to begin to become deliberate because I want to abide in you, right? That's adoration. Jesus says, if you abide in me, that's adoration, and my words abide in you. It's amazing how spending time in God's presence, right? Then all of a sudden, God's word begins to well up on the inside. It's amazing how when you put all the boats in the harbor, when the tide rises, none of the boats have to try and rise. They just all rise together. Why? Because the tide is lifting the boats. It's amazing how when you spend time in God's word, God's word begins to abide in you, doesn't it? And it's like faith begins to rise on the inside. You you start to hold yourself a little bit differently because you're now not just seeing what's going on around you. You're beginning to see God in the midst of it. And it begins to change not just your view of God, but it begins to change even the part you play in the midst of what's going on around you. Adoration, if you abide in me, leads to revelation. My words abide in you. Now you've got revelation. You've got the now word of God. God's spoken to you. You don't need a change of circumstances. You've got a word from God, and now you're beginning to see it. You're beginning to see what God can see. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask. That's impregnation. Now you're not just seeing it. You're starting to ask for it. You're beginning to ask, God, I need you to begin to do this thing, right? Because you're beginning to not just see it, but you're beginning to, you're beginning to ask for it. Now you're beginning to conceive it. It's becoming the thing that you confess. It's becoming the thing that you proclaim, right? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, right? Adoration, revelation leads to impregnation. Now something's beginning to grow on the inside of you. You're beginning to pray different prayers that you didn't pray before. You're beginning to think different thoughts you didn't think before because something is being conceived on the inside that leads to gestation. What you desire. If If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. It's amazing how when you begin to see with God's perspective, it's not just that you begin to see, it's that you begin to ask for it, but but it begins to change your desires. Now even your desires are beginning to change. Now you're full of it. Everywhere you go, you can begin to see it. You start preparing for it. You start investing for it. You start to begin to see yourself differently because something is being birthed on the inside of you and it's beginning to grow. And it won't happen overnight. They reckon about nine months is what it takes for a baby, right? Just just clarifying, right? 40 weeks. It doesn't happen overnight, but something's beginning to change on the inside of you. Your life is beginning to change. I've never been pregnant, but 
but, but there's stuff about your life that's beginning to change. The way you walk begins to change, right? The way you talk and the breathing in between begins to change, right? You begin painting nurseries. You've never thought about painting nurseries, but now you're beginning to prepare but because something is beginning to grow on the inside of you that wasn't there before. And so if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And here's the last part of it. Manifestation, it will be done for you. That's what Jesus says. How do you get a godly perspective? How do you do do that? You begin to abide in me and my word begins to abide in you and you'll ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Adoration leads to revelation, leads to impregnation, leads to gestation, leads to manifestation. I'll show you this again because there's another pattern for it in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5. You'll know this scripture. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What is that? Adoration, revelation, impregnation, gestation, manifestation. Delight yourself in the Lord. When God becomes your delight, right? Where this is not just like something you do on Sundays, but no, I'm creating time in my life to spend in God's presence. I want to be close to God. When you delight yourself in the Lord, that's adoration. He shall give you revelation. If you want to hear from God, spend time in God's presence. If you want to hear from God, open the Bible. If you want to hear from God, let Sundays be the cherry on top to your experience of faith in God, right? If you delight yourself in the Lord, adoration, he shall give you revelation, the desires of your heart. Now something's being conceived. Your desires are starting to change. You're starting to find some things that are beginning to well up as desires that weren't there before, but they're God-honoring. You know where they've come from. They've come from that time with God. That's impregnation. Commit your ways to Him. What's that? That's gestation. It's more than just desires. It takes some commitment from me. It takes me to begin to discipline parts of my life. Now I've got a vision. I'm not casting off restraint. I'm just not, well, whatever will be, will be. No, 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 I've got a godly vision. Something's growing on the inside of me and I'm beginning to commit my ways to him and he shall bring it to pass. That's manifestation. How do you and I develop a godly prophetic perspective in our lives? How do we see from God's point of view? Adoration, revelation, impregnation, gestation before manifestation. The truth is, as the worship team comes back, the truth is most people only ever look with the natural eye because they've never learnt how to see prophetically. But I want to encourage you this morning that God's got more to show you. There's more to see. There's a higher perspective for you and I to begin to view from. And so I want to encourage you, don't simply look with a natural eye, begin to see with a prophetic eye of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read these verses to you. Hebrews chapter 11, think about Noah. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, by faith, is what the scripture says, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. Noah in his generation seemed like the greatest fool. In hindsight, he was the wisest man who ever lived. Why? Because Noah was living in a prophetic realm. No one else could see it because they were all just looking. Water from the sky? (laughs) Water from the sky? You honestly believe water is going to come from the sky? Because the Bible says in Noah's day it had never rained. But Noah 
isn't looking at what's going on around him. He's beginning to see why, because God's spoken to him. And so by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, Noah was building for tomorrow because God had shown him something now. He could see, and so he started to begin investing while everyone else thought he was crazy. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these people, talking about men and women of faith in the Scriptures, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. That they saw something from God's point of view and they were welcoming it from a distance and admitting that even though they weren't going to get the chance to see it, they didn't have to see it. They'd already seen it because God had shown it to them, right? If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. You know, Walt Disney's wife, when, Disney, when Disneyland was finally open, at the opening, someone turned to his wife and said, it's so sad that Walt wasn't here to see this. And her response is so uncanny. She responded without skipping a beat. She said, Walt saw this every day of his life. Why? Because if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. And so for Walt Disney, that was seeing Disneyland. But for you and I, that's seeing from God's point of view that all these people, while they were still living by faith when they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them. Isn't that what we're trying to do? Right? We're trying to live our lives in such a way that the church of Jesus is stronger 100 years from now. That some of the things that we see and begin to envisage for this church and what God might do, not just in one location, but in lots of locations, not just on the Sunshine Coast, but right around our country. We're living right now because we've got to make this thing work right now, right? But, but we're not just living here. We also understand that God's got a bigger view than just what we can see right here and right now. So we're working diligently on this, but, but also with an eye to be able to see and begin to welcome the promises of God that are on the horizon, some of which we'll get to see in our lifetime. And some of which I pray we don't get to see in our lifetime because there's enough vision downloaded from heaven that it can't all be accomplished in our lifetime. Wouldn't that be a great way to live? Think about Moses, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Think about that for a minute. Moses' parents saw that he was no ordinary child. Why? Because he had a golden fleece diaper. Moses looked like all the other kids, except his parents weren't looking at their son. They were seeing him. Come on, as a parent, isn't that a challenge for you and I? Not simply to look at our children, but begin to see them. Moses' parents, when everybody else is giving their kids over to the Egyptians to be killed, Moses' parents, they're not afraid. No, 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 they're not afraid at all. They've seen that this is no ordinary child. God's got a great plan for this kid's life. And whatever it costs us, we're going to do everything in our power to be able to protect him because we realize God's got a plan for this boy. They saw that he was no ordinary child. Here's the last one, right? Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because, listen to this, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. When Moses is standing at a burning bush saying, but, but God, I don't really know how to talk, right? And when everything in his life would have caused him to want to be able to fear and say, this is too hard and I've been hurt too many times and I can't go back there. They'll, they'll kill me when they see me. What gave Moses the confidence to go back to Egypt with the boldness to be able to say, you need to let God's people go or it's not going to be good for you? 
What gave him the boldness and the confidence to do that? By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. His view of God was bigger than his fear of Pharaoh. And so I want to encourage you this morning, stop looking and start seeing. In your life, don't look, begin to see. In your marriage, don't look, see. With your kids and grandkids, don't look at them, begin to see them, right? With the opportunities that are around about you, don't look at the difficulty, don't look at the inconvenience, begin to see what God's up to. When you come along to church, don't look at this church, begin to see it. When you look at your future and you think it's all over, it's all done. I've run my race. Don't look at your future, begin to see it. You haven't even scratched the surface of what God is capable of doing. The God who spoke and the universe sprawled out from His mouth. The God who split the sea and took a nation through on dry ground, right? The God who brought an army of bones and brought them back to life. You think the problems you're facing? Don't look. Get into God's presence and begin to see. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to finish in just a moment, but before we do, I want to create an opportunity for people to come forward for prayer. Uh, You've got to understand that for all of the sermons I ever preach, right? I'm not preaching them for you so much as I'm preaching them for me, right? The challenge of being a preacher is that all these things have to work you over first, right? But one of the things that's been really encouraging over the last few weeks is, is people saying things like, I feel like God's awakening something in me. That maybe I just didn't realize was there or maybe I put it in a closet a long time ago and I'm beginning to see that fervor begin to stir again in my own heart. And I wanna encourage that because that's not about a sermon series. That's about something that God does. I'm just the, the fortunate person who gets to stand at the front and just point your attention to Him. And so I wanna create some space for us to be able to lay hands on people and pray for you today. Maybe there's something you believe in God for. Maybe in in real terms, it would be a miracle for it to ever even happen. But you're believing for just someone to stand with you and agree with you in prayer. I wanna invite you forward in just a moment to come and to have someone lay hands on you and agree with you in prayer. Maybe it's for healing in your body. Maybe you're standing in the gap for someone who you know is away from God, but but you're really believing to see them come to faith and you're really hoping and believing that God would use you in the middle of that. And maybe there's a circumstance you're facing right now and you're saying, do you know what? I've looked at this a million different ways. I'm just looking. God, I need you to help me see this from your perspective. I need to see this from a vantage point that only you can provide. So maybe there's something for you this morning. I'm, the team's gonna lead us in worship. But if that's you, if there's been something stirring in your heart, Maybe you can't even put it into words yet. You just want someone to pray for you. I want you. I want to invite you to come forward. The team's going to be here at the front. We're going to lay hands on people and pray for you. And if you're coming forward, why don't you do that right now? And if you're not coming forward, why don't you begin to lift your hands and begin to worship? Come on, it all starts with adoration. It all begins with actually abiding. So why don't we do that? Come on, right where you are. If you want to come, you can come now forward for prayer this morning. And if you're not coming forward, why don't you just lift your hands right where you are? If you're down the front, you can lift your hands as well. Come on, begin to lift your hands. It's just a reminder, my help comes from the Lord who's seated on high, right? That's why we do that. Lord, we just come before you right now and God, we just take a moment.
to be able to say, Lord, speak to us. Lord, move by your spirit this morning in this service. Father, we just begin to open our hearts to hear your voice, to hear that gentle whisper. Lord, we adore you. Lord, we worship you today. Move by your spirit in Jesus' name. Well, the team's going to lead us in worship. You can come forward at any time you want, and we're going to pray. Lord, I just come before you right now, and I pray for every single person in this room. God, each one greatly loved by you. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to begin to see with a heavenly perspective. God, that you would cause us to be a prophetic group of people. That, God, we would begin to see what you can see. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts, Lord, for the plight of people. That, God, we wouldn't be able to walk through our community. God, we wouldn't be able to walk down our street. We wouldn't be able to take our kids into the school without beginning to see people the way that you do. That, God, we would, as you said, lift our eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. God, I pray, help us to be able to see that. God, give us the boldness to do something with it. And, Lord, I pray for each one, just for your hand of blessing upon them. God, your favor to go before them this week. That, God, you would... Set your hedge of protection around them. God, in every way, God, until we're together again to begin to worship and lift up your name next Sunday. God, I pray, put your hand upon their life. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.